you have just entered the Liberty Lighthouse, where we cut through the fog of politics with common sense and logic. Coming to you from Pennsylvania, the state of independence. Here he is, author of the book, Progress, Really? U.S. Navy veteran and your host, Peter Serafine. Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse, my fellow patriots and freedom fighters. This is the Liberty Lighthouse for Friday, July 24th, 2020. Today we're going to start out with uh, Tom Lindsay as a guest. Tom is a uh, CPCU, uh, I don't know, insurance guy that uh, specializes in the business world. He works for a consulting and insurance company, and we are going to talk about well, just federal regulations and how ridiculous they have become. And uh, in the second segment, well, I don't know yet. We'll see when we get there. So why don't we just jump right in? Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse. With your Liberty Lighthouse keeper. Your beacon of common sense. Your wiki, if you will. Peter Seraphine. We urge you to join the conversation by calling 64-MY-RIGHTS. That's 646-974-4487. And sign up to be a member at liberty-lighthouse.com. That's right. Call or text the Liberty Lighthouse at 64-MY-RIGHTS. Calls and texts are both appreciated. And don't forget, you can go over to the MeWe social media platform, MeWe.com. Search for the Liberty Lighthouse group and join the chat there. So let's start out with our conversation with Tom. Okay, so now on the line, I have Tom Lindsay, chartered property casualty underwriter with Accelerated. Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse, Tom. Hey, Peter. Super excited to be here. Thanks. I I liked your reply when I emailed you and uh, said, hey, you want to be on the show to talk about... um, the cost of regulation, your uh, your response saying that you'd love to talk about regulatory nonsense. I, I love that. That was That's almost exactly how I feel about most of the regulations. Yeah, I, I would say the vast majority is absolute nonsense. Uh, I'm not sure what that number is, but it's pretty dang high. Well, we've got some, I've got some numbers written down here in notes. I'm sure that they'll come up and We'll, we'll figure some stuff out. Let's talk about uh, your company a little bit first. You work with uh, Accelerated, and they are not only an insurance company, but also a, a consulting firm, right? Yeah, Accelerated, it's not an insurance company. It's a brokerage. Okay. Um, but it's also uh, a software development, uh, a business consulting firm, a and a retail, also wholesale insurance. Uh, in fact, most of our business is wholesale, and meaning that we we provide insurance products to other retail insurance agents. So we're like the insurance agent for the insurance agent. Okay. Um, helping them find programs that they can then sell to their to their clients. So we do about four or five different things. Um, and, uh, you know, professional employer organization, um, brokering services, since we, we kind of come from that uh, industry with lots of, um, you know, 20 plus years of experience in that, in that industry. 
So you, your company basically focuses on uh, just about anything to support small and bus- uh, mid-sized businesses, if I understand your description correctly. Yeah, the focus is mainly on helping helping them with their employer responsibilities, right? So all of the things that they have to do as a as an employer, as a business owner that you know that doesn't so much have to do with their product service. It's it's um, the regulatory elements of it. Um, okay, well, in perhaps you got to buy insurance, yeah. I was going to say, in, in preps for uh, today's show, I, I did a little research, and according to the SBA, the Small Business Association, federal regulations cost, on average, over $8,000 per employee. And if you're a small yeah. business, that number is actually closer to $10,000, medium, like 7500 and large 7500 But So the small businesses are the ones that really get socked. At ten thousand dollars per employee. Yep, exactly. It's a ridiculous uh, burden that is placed on on businesses, and and it's not productive. I mean, some of it, okay, I can I could go along with, you know, maybe being necessary, but the majority of it is just, um, you know, bureaucrats with nothing to do and trying to, you know, solve the world's problems when, and actually end up really creating more problems. You know, it's the unintended consequences of, of their meddling in, in people's lives. It's kind of the unintended consequence of government in, in general, in my opinion. Um, so let's talk about that. that uh, okay, so I'm a small business, and I've got this $10,000 burden per employee What is that? Like, what all, how do you come up with $10,000? Like, what are the regulations that cost that much? Yeah, it's it's everything together. So, you know, you have a slew of of laws at the state and federal level that you have to comply with as an employer, right? Um, you, you have to become, you're a tax collector for one. You got to process payroll, collect taxes, remit the taxes, report the taxes. You have to, um, you know, you have to comply with all of the, the federal, um, regulations in terms of wage and hour and in terms of non-discrimination. Um, you become basically a benefit provider as well, right? You know, this is post, this is like a World War II thing uh, that, that there was a, a law that was passed that you couldn't raise wages. So so instead of raising wages, you employers started providing benefits and then it kind of just got baked into to the whole tax code. And um, so, you know, you're a benefit provider. Um, you're, you're, you're basically a, a, a babysitter and a, an agent of the government, an unpaid agent of the government is what I like to refer to it as. Uh, so there's just a there's a ton, and it's everything from hiring and termination to to wage paying and benefit providing and workers' compensation insurance and workplace safety and OSHA. I mean, you have agencies all all over the place regulating, dictating, mandating, you know 
how you must interact and treat and, and behave as an employer. But you, you didn't go into business to be an employer in the first place, right? I mean, you, you went, you started a business to provide a product or service. And as a, as a uh, byproduct of that, you have to hire people, leverage, you know, their labor to your advantage. And then that's where this all comes in to, to play all the expenses. And, right. You know, most small businesses don't even, they, you just, you don't know what you don't know. Right. I mean, there's, there's so much that, that, um, you know, you, you have no clue. And, uh, I, I like how you put it that you you become a tax collector and you become a benefits provider and you become this and that and and you're like an unpaid agent of the government. I I really like that because that that is the case. I mean, I spent many years in in the hospitality industry in the restaurant world, and uh, just thinking of the wages on or the taxes collect on tipped wages, um, like as an employer, you had to constantly tell your tipped people, you know, you have to claim that, you have to claim that, you have to claim that. And of course, most of them don't. So then you have to, to protect yourself as a company, you have to force them to claim something so that they avoid that allocation where the government says, well, you know, they're claiming less than 10% of their sales or whatever the rule was. I don't remember. So we're just going to start taxing them. And, and every time they get taxed, then you get taxed because for every penny that they have to pay in income tax, you've got your sale, uh, your benefits taxes that you have to pay as a company. So you're, yeah, you have, in fact, that's an interesting, um, topic, uh, is the, the, the employer matching tax, right? Right. It's a, it's, you, you have to deduct, you have to withhold social security, Medicare tax from the employee's check. And then, and then you have to match it as the employer. And a lot of people don't understand that, especially the employees. They don't understand that that um, you know that they're paying the employees paying federal and state income tax, and then Social Security and Medicare tax. And they don't understand that the employer is also paying the same amount in Social Security and Medicare tax, plus federal and state unemployment tax, uh, plus you know the cost of providing all the benefits. Um, right, and, and as an employer, uh, you know, like here, here I, I I was actually. I don't know if I would use the word fortunate enough, but I actually did see the IRS audit a restaurant once, and it was an ugly, ugly thing. It's one of the the cases where you're guilty until proven innocent. And what the IRS does for these tipped employees is they come in, and they can obviously see what tips they made on credit card sales. So they they figure that out, and let's say it's, just use round numbers, we'll say you made 10% on all of your credit card sales. We assume you made 10% on all of your cash sales as well. Prove us wrong. Exactly. And if you can't prove them wrong, and which, by the way, the only way you can prove them wrong is if you have a daily written record <laughs> in, in the specific form that they give you to write down exactly what your sales and tips were every day. And that's the only, right. only form of proof that they accept. So I saw several of, of, these tipped employees owe the, the government, you know, thousands of dollars in back taxes. And of course the interest in penalties that go along with that. So that's where the, as the business owner, you know, you don't want to have to pay those thousands of dollars in back taxes for all of your employees. Let's say you've got 10 tipped people in your, in your little restaurant and those 10 people all owe, you know, a thousand or 2000 or $5,000 
Well, you owe 10 times that because you've got 10 of those employees. So as the business owner, you're putting in these rules to try to mitigate your own risk and still educate the staff that, no, I I get it. It's cash in your pocket, but you have to claim it. Right. No different than the base wage that they receive and no different than the credit card tips. It's income must be reported, and if you're not, it's tax evasion. Right. So as the business owner, you're you're the tax collector for these people, and not only are you trying to collect for collect their taxes, but you're trying to protect yourself from the your portion of those taxes. And that I remember what a big headache that was, and that's just one regulation. That's just income tax. Yep, that's just the payroll tax scheme. So just the beginning. The payroll tax. <laughs> you know, one interesting thing about the Social Security tax is that it, it, you know, the rate has been the same for as long as I can remember as far as, you know, it's 6.2%, right, on, uh, for Social Security and 1.45 for for Medicare. But what they've done over the years is, is every year the basis for that goes up. And when I started in this business, it was around uh, $57,000, $58,000 was the basis. So once you reached $59,000, you, you weren't paying Social Security tax, either, neither, neither the employee nor the employer. Uh, today, the basis is 137700 So every year, it, it would... The basis would go up. The tax rate wouldn't change, but the basis would go up. And so that's the equivalent of a tax increase. Right. Because you no longer get the break when you get to whatever that threshold is because they've moved right. the threshold again. Because they keep moving the threshold. It was just a sneaky way of, of continuously increasing the, the amount of tax burden that both employees and, and the employer paid. The, the Medicare basis used to be the same as the Social Security basis, but I can't remember what year it was. They finally just removed the the limit on Medicare and said, "No, nah, you owe you owe the one point four five percent Medicare tax on all wages." <laughs> wow. Well, I, I don't know if you uh, listened a, a few weeks ago. Actually, it's probably been a few months. Um, I had uh, Adam Yamtov, who is a uh, a leader in the fair tax movement in in the state of New York. But uh, Fairtax is a is a nationwide organization, and their proposal is to eliminate all income taxes and payroll taxes, and replace all federal tax collection uh, with a, a sales tax. And after talking mm-hmm. to Adam and doing a little research on the topic, I think it's a brilliant idea. Anything is better than the system we have, in my humble opinion. <laughs> I, I would have to agree but with I, that. Yeah, I like the idea. I like that idea or, you know, or a flat tax, you know, on, on income, but our tax system is just absolutely it's a scam. out of control. It's a scam. It's, it's, you know, 4,000 pages long with, with tens of thousands of pages of explanatory notes and case law. It has become a monster that absolutely no one can understand. Yep. Okay. Exactly. So let's get back to, uh, those small businesses again. 
I, uh, there was an article in Forbes magazine that said that the average startup is going to spend $83,000 on regulatory compliance. Wow. That's insane. That's that's not yeah. you know starting your business. That's just the money I'm going to either give to our government or spend because of a government rule just to start the business. And then when you know once I have employees, then I get to that eight or ten thousand dollars per employee in those regulations as well. I, I thought we're supposed to be a pro business world. Yeah, well, who is it that publishes the annual um, economic index, uh, the Heritage? Heritage Foundation, Foundation does one, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we're we're not in the top ten anymore, right, <laughs> in terms of economic freedom, right? And, and uh, you know, this, it's crushing. I, I, it is. It is a huge burden, and I and it's it surprises me that you know we're and one one of the things I've always said is that you know there's no way that that small businesses could comply with all. First of all, not everybody's 100 percent compliant, right? You could go into any small business and you could find issues. Oh my God, yeah, especially uh, when they make rules but, about like how big the bathroom sign has to be, or you know <laughs> it has to be in braille and. I mean, the, yeah. the rules are, it, there are regulations that go into minutia that don't make any sense at all. Yeah. I mean, you don't have, you don't have, literally don't have the time or the money or the expertise to be a hundred percent compliant. It's that bad. Right. Um, but then the other factor is, is if, if we didn't have these kind of amazing advances in technology that we've had over the, over the years. You wouldn't be able to even come close to to a acceptable level of compliance. Right. Without you know, the internet, you'd the, have to go to some library and pull out some book that weighs fifteen pounds, <laughs> and then you know search for whatever it is that you're looking for in old fashioned paper. Ah. Yeah, it's not just the it's not just that. That's a great point, it's, and it's not just the access to the information to figure out what it is you have to do, but it's think of it in terms of like the payroll processing software i mean that technology has had to to change almost on a, you know on an annual basis in order to keep up with the 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 reporting requirements that are placed upon you um you know and the and the tax deduction um capability right you know i i've seen that firsthand you know as we've because that's that's one of the things that that we do and um, the the software developers struggle to to stay on top of everything, you know, rate table changes, um, rule changes, um, new reporting requirements, and, and you know, a good example is I, I, if you're a large employer, right, or an a, an employer who has 50 or more full-time equivalents for one month or more throughout uh, of the year, then you're uh, an allocated large employer under the Affordable Care Act. And you have um, 
coverage reporting requirements as a result. There's a, a 1095B and a 1095C, which are information returns that have to be sent to the employees each year. And uh, this is still, this is an area where a lot of employers are not in compliance or they're late with their returns. Um, we just had a, a, a company that we had to help um, send out over uh, almost 3,000 of these 1095 returns. Hmm. And, um, you know, just the process of, of if you haven't, if you didn't start the year out using a system that was specifically designed to produce this reporting, then the process of trying to accumulate the data and complete the, the, the returns is crazy. Uh, and, and that's what we had to do. We had to you know, piece the data together and, you know, hire a, an Excel uh, wizard to <laughs> pull all of the data into the template to then import it into the, the, uh, the software to then generate the returns, which are late, which carries a $110 per return fine. Jesus. Right. So let's go back. So just the process of, of that and the cost associated with it, you know, it's, it's um, well over, it's probably in the $7,500 range to generate those returns. And then, and penalties, if, if in fact they're levied, um, will be uh, over 200000 Wow. That, that's to you know help businesses. That that makes a lot of sense. Let's go back to, yeah, to the, and, and where get you said tax a collector. One, let me say one last thing about oh, that yeah. because this is what's so crazy about it is that the employee, the individual mandate is gone, right? Right. That doesn't doesn't apply anymore. And this return is just an information return to the employee, which I throw mine away, which they don't need, right? Can't use. Yeah, it, it's it's worthless piece of paper. Just like so much other yeah. government report, reporting requirement crap. Um, all right, so let's back. You said about being a tax collector, and we were at that time we were specifically talking about collecting income tax from employees. But you're also, as a business owner, a tax collector in collecting the sales tax for your goods and services that you sell, as well as keeping track of your own corporate income tax that you have to have to uh, return. So yeah. any business owner is, is most likely dealing with at least three different kinds of taxes at any given point in time in their, in their career, all of which have different rules, all of which have different reporting requirements. And that's, it's, it's a recipe for disaster because they've made all of them so complicated that, you know, the average small business guy, he's, he owns a restaurant or he runs a landscaping company or he does whatever he does, he, he doesn't have a degree in tax law and doesn't spend hours and hours and hours every year getting updated on the thousands of pages of new regulations regarding taxes every year. It's a recipe for disaster and failure. It is, and a lot of people fall victim to it. And you're being generous when you say three because, you know, just, just from a payroll standpoint, you have um, 
state income tax reporting, state unemployment tax reporting, and in most states, those are two different taxing authorities. You have the federal um, unemployment tax reporting, and then the uh, income tax withholding, Social Security and Medicare, that's referred to as 941 tax, that's on um, a single return. You have you have um, different payment frequencies for the requirements for those, and then you have annual annual uh, returns and then W-2s. I mean, there's, when you start adding up the actual tax filings and returns, uh, you've, you know, in, including your your self tax and your corporate income tax. All right, we're out of time for this it segment. Can, be, can you stick around for the second one? Yeah, sure. Okay, be right back. You're listening to the Liberty Lighthouse. Join the conversation now. Just call 64-MY-RIGHTS. That's 646-974-4487. Are you fed up with progressive society? I'm Peter Serafine, and my frustration led me to write a short book titled Progress? Really? Progress, really, is about the past, current, and future state of American culture, government, and social standing. I urge every liberty-loving American to visit my website, Seraphine.com and order a copy. Give progress really a quick read and some serious thought. That was Seraphine.com. S-E-R-E-F-I-N-E.com. Order your copy today. You're listening to the Liberty Lighthouse Podcast. Welcome back to the Liberty Lighthouse. We've got Tom Lindsay on the line. We were talking about taxes and the burden that tax collecting puts on uh, employers in the first segment. And we hadn't even got to a whole bunch of other regulatory stuff that I wanted to talk about. So Tom was kind enough to stick around with us. Uh, The last thing we were talking about was just the number of taxes that a small business has to collect. So you've got state, local, federal income taxes. You've got the state unemployment tax. You've got Medicare and Social Security tax. So that's like six different ones right there just in payroll taxes, let alone your possibly state, county, and local sales taxes for any of your goods and services that you sell, and then your own corporate taxes, which there's 85 different variables there as well. There could be EPA-related taxes and rules and stuff. So you're looking at probably a dozen taxes or more that the average business is collecting on behalf of of our governments without getting paid for that. Exactly. And there's a big expense to all of that collection. I mean, you like you had mentioned the reporting requirements and payroll companies. And that's a lot of of regulatory nonsense that that our businesses are are forced to to uh, absorb. And that's just what the businesses absorb. I saw uh, was it the uh, the Competitive Enterprise Institute says that the cost. The taxpayer cost, the federal money's cost of all of these regulations is about $2 trillion a year. Wow. So that's $2 trillion just to keep these, these offices and agencies open and writing these rules and then trying to enforce these rules. And if you take that $2 trillion a year and divide it out by taxpaying households, that's $1,500 a year per taxpaying household in our country just in regulatory nonsense from our federal government. It's insane. I mean, it's insane. I don't know how else to describe it. And 
look, if, if you, um, if this were your business, you'd be out of business, right? I mean, it's the most inefficient system that I can think of. Uh, it produces nothing, right? It's all just, there's no benefit derived from it. There's no, has no value. And it could be so much simpler. Oh, absolutely. Like you were explaining earlier. You said inefficient. And one of the examples I use, I've used it a couple of times on this show, and I am not an automotive engineer. I don't really know a whole lot about, you know, designing and building cars. But I do know that the the EPA rules and the uh, executive branch mandates regarding cars are, are contradictory and just ruin each other out. They cancel each other out. And what I mean by that is, uh, well, you know, in my very first car was a, was a 1976 Datsun B210. And it was a four on the floor, you know, a four-speed manual transmission. And it got over 30 miles to the gallon in 1976. Wow. And now, my new car, which is a Chevy Cruze Eco, which is a regular gas engine, but it is everything about that car is designed for fuel economy to make it almost as efficient as a hybrid. And it still, it only gets like, you know, 40 miles to the gallon. So you're telling right. me from 1976 to now that we've only improved fuel economy by 30%. Well, the reason that we've only improved fuel economy by 30% is because the government doesn't come in and say, get your emissions below this line and then walk away. The government comes in and says, get your emissions below this line and you have to have a catalytic converter and you have to have a charcoal canister and you have to have a fresh air injection system. And you have to have an EGR valve and a PCV valve and a fresh air pump. And, oh, you also have to get your fuel economy above this line. Anybody who knows anything about an engine knows that every piece of that pollution control crap that the government mandates you put on that engine robs it of fuel economy. So they're contradictory. And my question is, like, if these government agencies were to get together and come up with one rule, and say your car has to get below, you know, X amount of carbon emissions per 100 miles traveled, and then just walked away and let the engineers figure out how to do it, would be in a better place now. Like, would cars be getting 80 miles to the gallon because they didn't have all that other crap on there anymore? Well, what would all the bureaucrats do? Oh, if that's they didn't right. Have- that's exactly right. I mean, we have created these 60 different departments and agencies that make all of these rules, and none of them want to give up their jobs. They'd have to find a way to, to survive in the free market you know, no. and be productive citizens. I, that might be a little too much to ask. Bureaucrats as, as public citizens in the free market? Oh, <laughs> that's just a pipe dream there. All right, so there are 60 different departments and agencies at the federal level alone writing just regulations, writing and enforcing regulations. In 2016, there were 96,000 pages of regulations. Wow. 96,000 pages. That is completely unfathomable. There isn't a person yep. on the planet that could possibly understand all of that. Even if you have an eidetic memory, 
and you could read the whole thing, which would probably take you a year, you're, you're not going to be able to make sense of it. That's, it's ridiculous. And these, these 60 different departments and agencies, on average, put out over 3,000 new regulations every year. How does a company like yours keep up? How does your company, you know, guide other companies to how to keep up with this? It's just what it's what we do. <laughs> it's hard. And again, you know, I said before, I, I've I've never seen no one's in one hundred percent compliance. I mean, that's a, a literal impossibility. I mean, and you see it you see it every day in 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 the news if you follow this type of news right like you know i i have several email subscriptions to to reports and and there's you know, just take take ERISA for example which is a piece of federal legislation from 1974 that affects employer um benefits now you would think that the that the laws surrounding ERISA will and the rules and regulations were were well defined well known and that nobody should be getting in trouble for 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 um, violating ERISA rules, right? Well, every every day there is something new, some new lawsuit, uh, some new interpretation, some new um, you know clarification coming from the courts relative to that legislation from 1974. I mean, it's changed over the years obviously i was but, just going to ask how do you have uh, a new interpretation of a 45 year old or 46 year old law yeah i mean that and that's my point my point is that that you know it's because it's never stays the same and it's complex and difficult to comply with and a lot of people uh you know, they, they don't fully understand it. I mean, you know, there's there's specialty attorneys, right? ERISA specialty attorneys, <laughs> just to help you comply with with that. With that one um, one. With that one. And it's just one. It's one of thousands upon thousands. Uh, and, yeah, it's. You know, we've all, we've always, we said, we've always said, you know, look, you can go, you can go into any business. And I've probably said this three times already, but you can go into any business and you can find, um, violation. You can find finable, you know, non-compliance. And it happens too in the, you know, just the employment space. You know, there's, there's lawsuits all the time, every day dealing with wage and hour and discrimination and, well, the one thing taxes, that is the one thing that I I have to say that I am very happy to see President Trump doing, and and I'm a small government guy, and um, President Trump is uh, he he is not a conservative. He might be playing one on television, but he's not. He's he's a he's been a liberal Democrat his whole life, and and just recently decided to switch sides. So. He still has those those liberal leanings to him. I, I don't trust him uh, as a conservative. But 
the one of the things that he did and did very well was the uh, the rolling back of regulations and getting rid of regulations and saying, look, for everyone you write, you got to get rid of three or whatever it was that he did. Right. Um, that's brilliant. And that needs to continue because at 96,000 pages, there are obviously too many regulations. And, and then you've got the redundant agencies within government. I mean, everybody knows what OSHA is, the Occupational Safety and Health people. But there's a, another department, and I can't think of the name. I was just looking through my notes trying to find it. There's another department that's part of the Department of Health that has the exact same goal and, and mission statement as OSHA. So here's two different regulatory agencies that are both writing regulations that have to be enforced on the exact same topics. There's no way to keep up with that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> there isn't. And then, you know, with the coronavirus, <clears throat> there's been so much activity and new 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 guidelines and um, surrounding, you know, em- the return to work and employee health and safety. Um, and it's just literally over the last three months in the, in this space that I work in, that has just been all consuming. It's like nobody knows what they need to do to avoid liability and for, you know, reopening and bringing people back to work. And so you have, you know, OSHA has been out there, um, you know, publishing all kinds of guidelines as it relates to, you know, how to safely bring people back to work. And then you have governors um, actually using executive orders to extend the, the application of workers' compensation insurance to cover, um, you know, COVID illnesses where otherwise they would not be. Um, yeah, well, don't talk. We, we really shouldn't get started on governor's orders because I live in Pennsylvania <laughs> and I refer to Governor Tom Wolf as their Fuhrer since all of this thing stuff started. Um, yeah. And he, he comes up with, with orders and gives no time frame, no, you know, no warning. So, I mean, just for example, uh, Wednesday, July 15th, he said, as of midnight tonight, your restaurants that have been operating at 50% capacity have to go to 25% capacity. And bars can only serve alcohol either to go or with a meal. And nightclubs are just shut down again. And you have to wear a mask if you walk out of your front door for freaking sake. And, and like I said, he did this. I, I, it was Wednesday, and it went into effect at midnight that day. Like, how are you supposed to comply with crap like that? Oh, and, and by the way, that was, that, was, um, that was the 15th. On the 14th, on July 14th, there's a picture of the governor um, in a barber shop with, like, eight other guys and no masks. And it looks like we lost Tom. And he's back again. I don't know what I happened. Like do that. Disappear every once in a while. Yeah, I don't know. Reappear. Oh, I think I might see why, because my cell phone says I'm on Wi-Fi calling. I don't know why I'm on Wi-Fi calling. I hate Wi-Fi calling. But that's probably me. It's probably me dropping you, because 
you know, my studio's in my basement. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I wonder Down if I can the... turn that off without losing you. Oh, well. Um, anyway, I, while you were gone, I was ranting about Governor Wolf and, and uh, how he comes up with new rules and, and uh, you know, he comes up with a new rule on the, on the 15th and says it goes into effect on, at midnight. And, oh, by the way, on the 14th, he was photographed in a barber shop with, like, eight other men, and none, none of them were wearing masks. Love it. The hypocrisy is just absolutely through the roof. Oh, and yeah. I was saying, how, how is it that we've come to this point in America, right? How is it that, that, that these people have, these governors seemingly have unchecked power to just literally confine people to their homes, to shut businesses down, to prevent people from earning a living, to just in, and indiscriminately? I don't understand it at all. Uh, and I, I constantly say, why are we allowing this? Like, we the people have allowed this to happen. And more absolutely. than once I've said we need to bring back tarring and feathering. Yes. Yes. I agree. If I, if I can't get the General <laughs> Assembly to impeach the guy, then, you know, maybe if we just pull him out of his office and tar and feather him and make him run through the streets of Harrisburg, he'll be embarrassed enough to start listening to the people. Uh, yep. That might work. <laughs> well, there was a reason it went on for, you know, 200 years or something like that in the country. Yeah, because it, it worked. Okay, so one last thing that I have in my notes that I want to make sure we talk about. Okay, so we've already said that the 96,000 pages of regulations at a cost of $2 trillion a year into the annual deficit and and over 3,000 new regulations a year from 60 different departments and agencies, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, accounts for 43% of regulations. That's wow. one of the 60 departments, and they account for 43% of the rules. And I'm of the belief that the EPA is kind of obsolete because when it was created, individual states didn't have state environmental protection rules. Now, all 50 states have their own environmental detention, protection departments. So why do we also have a federal environmental protection agency? That's great. Uh, yeah. I, I think there's other examples of that as well. Oh, I'm sure there are. It's kind of hard yeah. to find them when you've got 96,000 pages. I mean, there's OSHA is the same way, right? There's, there's a federal OSHA and there's every state has their own version, their own Cal OSHA, California OSHA, you know, they, they, so it's redundant right. for sure. And how many of the rules are like copy paste, like exactly the same? And they just cross off where it says America and put Pennsylvania or California or whatever state that they are. In. The redundancy is well, ridiculous. Yeah, and then you, yep, there's a redundancy, and then there's also you know um, the differences. So, like you know, you have federal minimum wage, but then every state, not every state, most states have their own minimum wage. Right, and then you have and even you cities have that have cities. Exactly, and counties, counties and cities getting into the game because you know the feds won't won't uh, change the federal minimum to to what they want, so they just take take matters into their own hands and and pass their own local version of it. 
Um, but if so, if that's the case, you know, why not eliminate the whole wage and hour division of the Department of Labor at the federal level and, you know, turn it over to the states because that's what they want to do. Well, I've just got a big problem with the fact that these departments and agencies can write these rules and make these regulations and, and, and attach a penalty to them. Because here's my opinion. Any rule that has a penalty associated, whether it's a fine or you know forfeiture of a license or jail time, I don't care what it is. If there is a penalty associated to the rule, then that rule is a law. And our Constitution no says that laws are written only by Congress. So Congress has allowed, they've, they've delegated basically lawmaking authority to these 60 different departments and agencies. And I think that is, that's dereliction of duty as far as I'm concerned. There was a reason the Constitution was written so that only the legislature could pass law. They didn't want a gazillion laws. No, you're exactly spot on. I mean, these non-elected bureaucrats run around passing rules and regulations to have the effect of law. And it's the worst case scenario because you can't hold them accountable. Right. We can't hold them accountable. You can't vote them out. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. You can't vote them out. You can only sue them under like extremely rare circumstances. Yep. And good luck. I mean, yeah, even if you are, quote unquote, allowed good luck defending against or uh, fighting the federal government that has all of this power. Yeah, because who's who's adjudicating the the dispute? Just another branch of government. Exactly. You know, who thinks government is the answer to every problem? Oh, what's it? Reagan. Um, Reagan, in, in this present crisis. Uh, government is not the solution to the problem. Government is the problem. Ronald Reagan may have said that back in the sixties or seventies or something like that, but my God, it's been, it's been my whole life. That's exactly what is going on in our world. Like government is the problem. Yep. They rarely solve problems. They, they, uh, you know, maybe they're, maybe some of them are well-intended, but, in every instance, there there are these unintended consequences that that surface, and it's like a it's like telling a lie, right? I mean, you tell the lie, and then you got to tell another lie, and another lie, and another lie, and and, and it's the same thing with regulation. You, you can't just stop at one, right? Well, you, you... it's like the Affordable Care Act. I mean, look at that whole freaking disaster. You pass in, you know, Pelosi's famous. Say, oh, we got to pass it so we can know what's in it. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, so let's pass it, make it the law, then we'll figure out what it says, and then we'll pass, then we'll write, um, you know, a million pages of regulations to, you know, clarify and, you know, because the law itself, standalone, without the regulation, is a hot mess and there you go. And then it just, it snowballs, right? And right. you end up with. I mean, and you write a regulation to fix problem A, which the regulation causes problem B. So then you write a new regulation (laughs) on problem B and, and now problem A and B combine and create 
problem C. So then you need another regulation for problem C. Most of these departments are out there. They're looking for something to regulate. Yep. They've never seen anything that shouldn't be regulated. Right. Ah, getting frustrated. Anyway, um, we are actually starting to run a little short on time. So is there any uh, contact information, websites, anything that you want to share with the listeners here to reach out to you in any way? Yeah, absolutely. You could go to our website. It's probably the best place to see, you know, what it is we do and get in touch with us. It's um, A-C-C-E-L-C-G.com. Not the easiest URL in the world, but uh, A-C-C-E-L-C-G.com. Well, I searched uh, for Accelerated and found you pretty quickly. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah, Accelerated um, LLC is, is the the name of the company and um you can also find me on on linkedin that's probably the best place to to reach out to me um it's just uh, thomas rock Lindsay on linkedin would love to connect with anyone who's uh a liberty loving you know small government minded libertarian conservative sort those are my peeps yeah, it sounds like my audience. Well, most of them. I mean, there is the one or two liberal out there that listens just to see what the other side's doing. <laughs> well, that's good. Good for them for for staying on top of the uh, competition. Absolutely. All right, Tom, thank you very much for your time today. Didn't mean to keep you for, well, basically a whole hour, but I really appreciate it. I think we got some good stuff covered here, and I appreciate your insight. It was a lot of fun. Time time flew by and um, love the podcast and, you know, thanks for, for putting it out there. Absolutely. It's part of my duty to protect and serve the Constitution of the United States of America. This is, this is what I did as my sense of, of civic duty. I love it. I um, take my hat off to you. So. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. All right. Well, we've got just a couple of minutes left, so... Let's talk about something stupid. Earlier today in Washington, D.C., another career politician said something really, really stupid. President Trump has done in going his his spreading of racism, the way he deals with 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 people based on the color of their skin, their national origin, where they're from is absolutely sickening. No sitting president has ever done this. Never, never, never. No Republican president has done this. No Democratic president. We have racists, and they've existed, and they've tried to get elected president. He's the first one that has. And the wait, way Wait a minute. Let's stop right there. Donald Trump is the first racist to be elected president. Really? What about the 12 U.S. presidents that own slaves? Eight of them that owned slaves while holding the presidential office. But Donald Trump's the first racist. What about President Woodrow Wilson, who resegregated the U.S. Navy? Yeah, you heard me, resegregated. As in, the U.S. Navy had taken it upon itself to desegregate. But President Woodrow Wilson said, oh no, we can't have that, and resegregated. What about one of my favorites? Oh, wait, 
before we move on, what about, let's continue on Woodrow Wilson, who chose for the first movie to ever be shown inside the White House to be A Birth of a Nation, the movie about the rise of the Klan. Or, moving on to my personal favorite, LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson, the president who signed the Civil Rights Act, or as he liked to call it, that nigger bill. The president who peed on his driver's shoes just because he could and said, as long as you're just a nigger and I'm the president, I'll piss wherever I want. Or something to that effect. Look it up. But no, Donald Trump is the first racist to make president. And I still, anytime somebody calls Trump a racist, I always ask for, you know, why? And I've never got an answer to that. Nobody can show me why they think Donald Trump is a racist. I could see if you said he's a jerk. Okay. I could understand that entirely. I could understand if you said he's an idiot. I could understand if you say a lot of things. But uh, he has, like, been proven to give loans to black business people and then just throw away their check when they pay him back. Or um, he dated a black woman for years. And granted, it was, like, Miss America or something like that. But he dated her, and he took her on red carpets and all that kind of stuff. So, Joe Biden, I'm going to have to chalk this up to you being stupid. Anyway, we're about out of time. This is the Liberty Lighthouse. Let's, you know what, next week, let's talk about systemic racism. Okay? That sounds like a plan. Maybe I can get somebody to join me for that one. That'd be great. Uh, Until next week, protect your liberties. Once they're gone, there's no getting them back. God bless America. Thanks for listening to the Liberty Lighthouse podcast. Be sure to sign up at liberty-lighthouse.com to download Peter's free ebook from the file share page. And don't forget to call 64 my rights to leave comments for the show. That's 646-974-4487. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell a friend about Liberty Lighthouse. And wherever you listen, subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated.